0: Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus. I thank you for who you are. Thank you, Daddy, for the privilege and the honor that it is to share your word today, Father. My desire, Father God, is that I won't share this word with natural manly wisdom, Father, but that by the wisdom of God in the demonstration and power of your Holy Ghost, this word will go forth, Father God, to build faith inside of each and every hearer today in the name of Jesus. I bind my mind to the mind of Christ the truth of your word in the power of your cross. Let me share what's on your mind today, Father, and not what's in my flesh. I honor you, I magnify you, and I thank you, Lord, for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Praise Jesus. So I want to do basically a little bit of a continuation from last week in essence. So I'm just going to lay a little bit of foundation in terms of what I shared last week. If you want the full thing, you're going to have to go and listen to it again because I can't go. It's, it's, it's loads of words. But I just want to to create some sort of context so that we can have the springboard for where we're going this morning. This morning's sermon title, for those who love the titles, it says, it's time to conquer. It's time to conquer. If you go with me in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, I'm just going to revise quickly. It says, when Jesus came into the region, you took it away. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Uh, Let me just get there. Okay. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And also, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I don't want to go to the latter part, but stay just there, Matthew 16, 18, it says, and on this rock I will build my church. And so when we dug into it last week, we came and we dealt with the fact that the word Build comes from the word oikos. Oikos uh, was the root word which speaks of uh, a family or a family property, which also alludes to a lineage, building a lineage, setting in, in place a family lineage. Amen. And so when we dig deep into that, Jesus basically saying, I'm first coming to restore you back to the image and likeness of God. I'm first coming to restore you back to Genesis 1 verse 26. I'm first going to come and fix you and, and take away all the, the nature that Adam placed inside of you, which is the nature of sin and death. He says I've come to restore you. The first point of call is that you're going to be born again, that you're going to be made in the image and likeness of God, that you're going to be saved, delivered, and set free, and that your spirit man now will be regenerated and formed part of the lineage of God most high. The Bible says you're born again of the incorruptible seed of the word of God. And the word of God and God are synonymous. That means you're born again of the incorruptible seed of God, meaning that you cannot corrupt what God has done. Jesus finished the work so that you can't mess it up the way Adam did. But that means in my born-again spirit, I am now in the lineage of God. John chapter 1 verse 12 says that for those who believe in Him, to them He gave the power to become what? Children of the Most High God. So you are not alone today. You, hear me? you are not alone today as much as my children are my children because they've accepted the Lord already in their lives. They are children of the Most High God. First and foremost, that's the identity. They are born again, made in the image and likeness of God Most High. Then he says, I will build, he says what, my church, my church, not our church, my church, Jesus' church, and when he used this word, the reference was ecclesia, ecclesia was the reference made to the Greek model of government, it referred to government, it referred to a legislative assembly, hear me, a legislative assembly, it was people that were old enough in that time men, that were old enough to meet and congregate and form an assembly, like we come and congregate here today. They came together to legislate law over the city, over their community. So they came to set things in place and say, we're going to be governed like this. So when you're speaking of the ecclesia and in the mind of Christ, Christ had a picture of a church that was going to rule, was going to govern, and was going to establish his kingdom in the earth. He never saw a place of worship. The way we get the reference point for the place of worship comes from the German word Kirch. I don't know how to pronounce it, it's K-I-R-C-H-E, it comes from that word and that word speaks of a place of worship. When you go back into the translation from the Greek to the English and King James was the first one, it's called the King James Version, when he translated part of his 15 laws of interpretation, he said, don't say ecclesia and make it what it used to be, change it to a religious organization. So he shifted the meaning of church. That was not God's intention. It's ecclesia. Apostle always says that the church is the vehicle through which the kingdom flows. So God puts the church in place as a client kingdom, headquarters are in heaven, but as a client kingdom in the earth, He sets up a church and ecclesia to do what? To infiltrate society with the kingdom of heaven so that wherever you go, you govern by the kingdom, the cultures, the norms, the laws, the customs of the kingdom then become the customs and the laws of the city, the community that you serve, that you're building and that you're working in. Amen. That's the ultimate goal. If we shift from that perspective, we build something that's incorrect and perverted. That's why religious organizations have a form of godliness with no power. It was never God's intention. Never God's intention. We cannot be in a position as the church, locked up with all this power with God most high on the inside of us and not exercise that power and meet the need of a dying world. That's not God's intention. When we get into alignment with God's intention, it positions us correctly, and we have the right perspective. Perspective is everything. Perspective is everything. That's why uh, uh, John Maxwell says, leadership is managing other people's what? Perspectives. So if I had to come here this morning, or possibly to come on the one and say, oh, I don't know how we're going to make it. I know God is good, but I don't know if I can go on, you know. I don't know the devil's taking me out, my faith. If I do that, what am I doing? I'm creating a perspective inside of you that's positioning you incorrectly. It will cause you to falter, to fail, and to be victim to your circumstances, and situation. Amen. But that's never the situation in this church and in this house. Amen. We are to build your faith and align you with God's plan and purpose. That's why if your position is incorrect, your perspective will be incorrect. So when we're hearing the word of God and we're understanding the word of God, when we come to the word ecclesia, you know, just be purposeful in your mind. That every time you say the word church, say it's a legislative assembly. Change what? To forcefully change your perspective. When I got saved and I heard that God was my daddy, my abba, it was like, what? And so purposefully when I prayed, what did I say? I didn't say God, I said daddy. Why? I wanted to change my perspective by positioning me correctly in my relationship with Him. So in the season, when they say we want to come to worship together at church, yes, we can have a place of worship, but the purpose of the church is what? Is to take over, to conquer, and to go in and change the world. So if we don't have the right understanding, we're never going to position ourselves properly. And I can show you now on a touch on a few things just in scripture that when you read the word now, with the different understanding of the purposes and the plan of God, because when Jesus breaks it out, he says, this is how it's going to happen. I'm going to build, I'm going to set up a family, a lineage in the earth that is made of God most high. DNA spiritually is going to look like daddy, going to be able to function like daddy. I'm going to set up a governmental system that's going to expand the kingdom of God. When I build that perspective, in my mind, I start to see things differently in the Word of God. Why? My perspective changes. You will shift from seeing Jesus as just your Savior and your deliverer to the one who is Lord over your life, the one who has the power to protect you, the one who wants to work with you, in and through you, to deliver you and set you up so that you can have dominion wherever you go. You will see Him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Oh, you know what? If you just see Him as Savior, every day you're going to be needing a miracle. Every day you're going to have to cry out. Every day you're going to have to say, I don't know what to do, daddy. I need..." That's not God's positioning of you. And when you go and read the Gospels and you go and read the life of Jesus, Jesus mentioned that thing, salvation, once. What did he preach about? The kingdom. And when he spoke about salvation, he said what? You're going to be saved to do what? Unless you be born again, you cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. That was the ultimate goal because when the kingdom, that's why I love that song this morning. When the kingdom comes into place, everything changes. If things are not changing in your home, you must ask yourself, What's your perspective? You must ask yourself, What am I seeing? Am I seeing this correctly or am I seeing it incorrectly? Are you really waiting on God or is God waiting on you? But Jesus ministered about the kingdom. He came to speak about a better life. He said, I'm the door, I'm only the entry point. I'm gonna make a way. That's why, even that's wrong. Nobody can make a way like he made a way. He came to make a way so that you can enter into the kingdom, the life that he's assigned to you. you hear me? And the Bible says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come to give you life, life in abundance to the full until it overflows. The kingdom of God gives you the life, life, and life in abundance to the full until it overflows. That's the design of the kingdom, the design of the world system to steal from you. It's to kill you. It's to destroy you. Amen. So Jesus preached the kingdom of God. When you go back into the prophets, they all spoke about the coming of the Christ, the Messiah, the one who was going to be the king, the one who was going to establish a government. The Bible says the government will be upon his shoulders. He came to establish what? A government, not a place of worship. You go back to David, and David was a powerful king. You're going to read the Psalms. and What did he say? He spoke of him as what? As a king. As the Lord. He said, one is gonna, this one's going to sit on his throne. But he's going to establish a kingdom that what? That lasts forever. You go back to Moses. Moses prophesies about his coming. And eventually, if you go back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, you come to the crux of the matter. Go there to my favorite scripture. Genesis 1 verse 26. Thank you, Jesus. He said, God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. Let them have rada. Let them have rulership. Let them have kingdom in the earth. This was God's intention. It was not yummy. Know, when God said this, he didn't say, let us make Christians. He didn't say, he didn't say, God created everybody. But not everybody is his son and daughter. But when he formed creation, He said, let us make man, let us make a species, not let us make a religion. He says, let them have dominion, not let them have a place of worship, not let them have, you don't even read worship in the first two chapters. You don't read about it. Why? Worship was a natural progression of Adam's relationship with God. He didn't need to be highlighted, he was in the presence of the Most High God. Can you imagine being 24-7 in the presence of God? All you can do but is worship because of who he is. But he said what? The purpose is dominion. It's kingdom. It's take son. I'm forming you. I've made you. You my child. Now take what's in heaven and establish it in the earth and make the earth look like this. Amen. So if you have the right perspective and as you start to read the word of God. You start to see it differently and not just from a perspective of I need to be saved, I need to go to heaven. If God wanted them to go to heaven, God would have made them right there and put them in heaven and not made in earth. Why would He change His mind? He restores us and redeems us back to what He originally designed and intended for us. And When you start to read the Word of God this way, your perspective completely changes and your approach to life and your walk of faith changes forever amen so I want to dig into 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 some into a pattern that I believe God placed in the Old Testament in order for us to understand exactly how we're supposed to walk things out because the Old Testament is not obsolete you can't say Jesus fulfilled the law but he didn't say it's obsolete yummy the Bible says in Colossians 2 verse 17 it says so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding festival or new moon or Sabbaths which are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is Christ. So what is he saying? He's saying everything in the Old Testament was pointing you to one thing, to Christ. Amen? It was pointing you to one thing, to the seed that was gonna come, the Messiah that was gonna come, the one who was gonna rectify what Adam made wrong, the one who was gonna reposition us and put us back into position according to God's original intent and design in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. But we can learn from the old because it's a shadow of the new. If, if, if you are to see now, there's a shadow behind me. If you look at the shadow, is the shadow me? No, I'm the substance. But you can see that I'm here. Why? If you look at my shadow. Because the substance is where it's just around the corner. Are you understanding me? So when you're reading the old, it's pointing to Christ. It's pointing to the new, how we're supposed to love what God is calling and designing for us. Amen? And it's pointing to what's to come. We're in what's to come. But we can learn from the pattern of the old in terms of how we're supposed to be living right now. Are you with me? Amen. So I want to dig into uh, I want to dig into to Israel and them coming into the promised land this morning and learn from the pattern of what God has established. So but let's first go to Genesis chapter one, verse Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3 to build some context. Genesis 12 and verse 1. Thank you, Father says, now the Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God removes Abraham from his existing family structure. He says, I'm taking you out of here. I'm removing you from your geographic location. Listen to me, some of you four change students. God separating you from your family, your natural family, separating you. Why? Because he wants to do a work in you and build for you what he has inside of you. So he says, I'm going to shift you. He doesn't, what do say? He says, I'm not going to build you. Let's read on. It says, go there. Go back to one. Let's start again. Uh, now the Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land, and I will show you. Next. And I will make you a great what? Nation, not family. He says, I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and I'll make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and I'll curse him who curse in, all the, in you, all the families of the earth. That bless. He says, I'm coming to do a work inside of you, not to build another family. I'm coming to build a nation because a nation needs government. Amen. Amen. I'm coming to shift you and put you on a different system. And this nation is going to go up against other nations and overpower them and take over. Go to Genesis chapter 15. Let's go from verse 9. So just before this, not just go to verse 9. I don't want to read all that scripture, but if you go to verse Genesis 15 verse 9, this is where God, where Abram now comes, he's speaking to God, he says, listen here, but you said this great thing about, me. you said I'm going to give birth to all, to this nation, and stuff like this, but I don't even have one child, he says, what am I going to do, I need a child, he says, must I take this person that has been serving in my house, not of my family, must I take them and build them, God says no, God says what, to reestablish this, and to build a relationship, I'm going to cut what, covenant with you, So if you go to verse 9, he says, And he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. Next. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle, and he placed each piece on opposite of the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abraham, No, certainly That your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also, and also, the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they will come out with great possessions. Now, it's for you. You shall not go to your fathers. You shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. Where is your Canaan land, the promised land? For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God says, what I'm going to do through you, I'm cutting covenant with you now. What is it? Covenant means I'm creating a relationship with you that is deeper than any other relationship that you can find in the earth. That's what the Bible says. You know the Bible, when the saying, the adult says, blood is thicker than water, it's actually referring to blood covenant being thicker to twins being born out of the same water of the womb. He's saying that this relationship is deeper than that relationship because in covenant, if I don't do what I said I'm going to do, you can kill me. Covenant costs your life. So when God comes into relationship with Abraham, he restores the relationship as far as he can go before Christ comes. So here you have what? The building of oikos. It's family. That's what the Bible says. Abraham is what? A friend of God. That word friend is not chommy chommy buddy buddy. That word friend is covenantal relationship. God says what I promised you here, if it doesn't come to pass, I've got to give up my life. So God comes to restore the relationship. God now has an entity, an institution called man, Abraham, that he can work through to fulfill his plan and purpose in the earth. But he doesn't stop there. He says, no, I'm going to raise up a nation that's going to go in and possess. Amen. So when you read through the scripture, I think it's about 300 years later that that Joseph goes into Egypt and they get enslaved. And 430 years later, after being in bondage, they get delivered and come out. Are you with me? And as they're facing the Red Sea, they've got the mountain on the side of them, the enemy behind them. And God supernaturally opens up everything in order for them to go through and be delivered and set free. But what I want you to understand is that when God sends them into Egypt, he sends a seed of 70 people into the womb of Egypt. And after 430 years, gives birth to a nation called Israel. So what was God doing in the 430 years? He was establishing a nation. He was establishing a nation for his government to work through in the earth. In Exodus chapter 7, verse 8 to 13, this is Moses' first encounter when he comes up against Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, saying, when Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, show a miracle for yourselves. What is he saying? The enemy will always want to see power. He says, show America of yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, take your rod, cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so, just as so the Lord come on, and Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh, and before his servants, and it became a servant. Now what I want you to understand is that Moses is coming as a nation, Israel, is representing a system, the kingdom of God, and he's coming and he's standing against the world system, Egypt. Are you with me? But Pharaoh called the wise men and the sorcerers and the magicians of Egypt and they also did in the manner with the enchantments for every man threw down his rod and they became serpents, a perverse power. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods and Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. Here's the beginning of nation against nation, system against system. God is saying, my system is so superior, it will swallow up anything that that thing can produce. And so God is showing Pharaoh that there's a position of power coming. There's a nation that's sitting in you that has power to overcome you. But the Bible says Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Hardened. So after 10 supernatural acts of God, like plagues that affected a nation, supernatural miracle working of God that affected a nation, not just a little thing that happened in a church, affected a nation. Everybody in the nation experienced it except the Israelites. These things took place. And on the 10th one, God says, okay, now kill the lamb. Take the blood of the lamb, put it on your doorposts. And when the angel of death passes over, your firstborn will be saved. But whoever does not have, they will not be. So God does this miraculous act, kills all the firstborn of Egypt. That next day, they go and they plunder the Egyptians, they take the wealth of the Egyptians, and they leave. And God delivers them through the Red Sea, and when they get through on the other side, Pharaoh, in his pride, and in his own worldly wisdom, thinks he can still take them out, and goes and pursues them and get killed in the Red Sea. It reminds me of a scripture where it says that the enemy... If he had known what he was doing when he crucified Christ, he would never have done it. Amen. So that now sets the scene. Here's a promise made to Abraham. And the promise is what? You're going to be in relationship with me, number one. But number two is what? You're going to gain and possess territory so that my kingdom can rule and reign in that place, which is the promised land. And here's the challenge that I find is for many people, because we have a misunderstanding of the promised land, we misappropriate it and therefore never experience the fullness of it because we think it's supposed to be something that it's not because we have a misunderstanding of what it is. And nine times out of 10, it's built even out of the fact that we don't see church the way we're supposed to see church. And so I wanna break that down for you this morning. Amen. I want to deal with mentalities that we need to have, how we need to shift mentalities to come into the place that God has assigned for us, for me and you, hear me, the promised land is not just a place or a something or what we many times refer to, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but things or, 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 you know, we get a car and we think that's the promised land, that's not the promised land, you get a little breakthrough and you think that's the promised land, no, it's a misappropriation because of misunderstanding, And we've got to break from that thing this morning. If we're going to become effective in the kingdom of God, if we're going to become an effective church, we need to go into the spheres of society. We need to go into the place where the enemy is and go and take over. Amen. We need to go into those strongholds, those structures in government, arts and entertainment, media, uh, education, uh, community or family. We need to go into those areas, into the seven mountains religion. And we need to go and take over and bring a culture that is established and soaked in the kingdom of God so we can be a light to a dying world. So number one, we have to shift from translation to transformation. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 says, in the King James Version, it says, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. He says, God, through the supernatural act that he did in Egypt when he delivers you, because Egypt is a type of the world. Egypt speaks to us when we're still not born again, stuck in bondage, under the sway of the enemy, submitted to his system, and you have no other option. You don't have the power to deliver yourself, neither did Israel. They did not have the power to deliver themselves. God had to intervene and God had to supernaturally deliver them. How did you get saved? Not by your own cleverness, not by your good works, not by anything you could do. The Bible says the day that you received him in your heart, just when you believed the word that was preached, you believed that he was the son of God. You believed he died for you on the cross for your sins. You believed that he rose again. You believed he's the son of God and you accepted him into your heart. The day you confessed it with your mouth, you became what? Saved, born again. Not because of anything you could do. You could not save yourself. Israel could not deliver themselves after 400 years. God had to make a way. So when God saves you, He shifts you from one kingdom to the next. But the problem is you have people that are in the wilderness that are still trying to go back to Egypt. If you go to Numbers chapter 14, don't go there, but it's after God says judgment's coming upon you because of the words that you've spoken. Now you're going to have to do 40 years in this wilderness and one generation is going to have to die out so I can raise the next to go into the promised land. What did they say? They said, let us raise up another leader for ourselves to take us where? To Egypt. (laughs) So they shifted out of, but because of their desires, they wanted to go back to. That's what happens in the church. Many people get saved. Born again, I'm going to heaven if I die, but I'm going to live like hell on earth. The problem is that if you don't break free from that mindset and shift from just being translated into transformation, you will never experience what God has got for you. You will build Egypt in the new place. If you go to Exodus chapter 32 verse 1 to 6. You know, T.D. Jake says when people come and serve in his church and they become part of his leadership structure, he says, this is not that. He says this in the kingdom is not that thing in the world. Because many people come with the ideas from the world and want to implement it in the church, in the house of God. But that's not God's design and desire when you come in, you need to transform your thinking. If you look at the world today, and you look at what's happening in the world today, and you see how many Christians are struggling at this point in time, just, just economically. Why? Their dependency is still on that system. Even though they saved, even though they've been translated out of, they're still stuck on Egypt's system. Exodus chapter 32 verse 1 to 6, Now when the, Lord, when the people saw... That Moses delayed from coming down the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, "Come, make us gods; they're not even out two years yet. Come, make us gods." And Moses not even gone. What Moses was gone forty days, they couldn't even cope. Come, make us gods; that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings which are on the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which are in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before God, and Aaron made a proclamation saying, tomorrow is the feast of the Lord. What Lord? That's Yahweh. Because of where they came from, they had to reduce God to something from their past. They had to reduce God in their perspective to something that could fit in their mold. That's why when you tell the world, no, I'm sowing a seed or I'm giving my tithe, they can't understand it because the system of Egypt is not like that. They can't understand that you've got to speak words of faith. Why? Because that system doesn't function like that. They can't understand that you must love your enemy. They can't. Why not? Because that system doesn't function like that. So when you get saved and translated, you still need to be transformed. And unless you go through the transformation process through the Word of God, you will never eat the life that God has got for you. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. Go to the Amplifier. In the amplifier, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you in the view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members' faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. So Paul is saying, I'm appealing to you. He says, do not be conformed to this world. This age fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and new attitudes. Where? From the kingdom. So that you may prove for yourself what is the good, the acceptable, and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in His sight for you. He's saying what? Unless you bring transformation up here. Unless you get into the Word of God. You see, when God translated you, that was Him. When God transformed you, it's a working together with Him. It takes you, He says, I appeal to you. The season of us sitting back and, tra- and looking at God and saying, God, what's happening is over. You cannot conquer if you sit in the victim's seat. You cannot expect to enter into the promised land if you're sitting in the victim seat. It does not work like that. You've got to get into the Word of God, change your thinking, and prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. How? Through the transformation process of you working the Word with the Holy Spirit, with God, for God to do inside of you what He called you to do. Stop sitting at home and waiting for a message on a Sunday. And then expecting God to do something marvelous and miraculous. Stop it. You've got to shift yourself into the position that God has called for you. Why? Yes, you've been translated, but stop bringing the world into the ecclesia. I'm going to go beyond that. Number two, a miracle mentality versus a supernatural mentality. Amen? We have to get beat. We have, you know I mean? we have to grow up. We have to grow up. I was speaking to some of the people of the praises that I'm saying, we suppo- people are supposed to be looking at our lives in this hour. You know, if you couldn't see it before, fine. But in this moment in time, they should be definitely seeing that there's light inside of you. Because it's so dark out there. And you know what's happening? The world's becoming accustomed to their darkness. I'm telling you, people, even Christians, are becoming accustomed to darkness. Something that was so hard to accept in the beginning, like lockdown, restrictions, and all that stuff, has become customary and normal for most people. But it's because we submit ourselves to the leading of the world, even though we're born again. You've been translated, but you have not been transformed. And that creates even a, a, a space in your life where you continually... Don't ever reach what God has got for you and you end up living a life where you're blaming God, becoming a victim to your situation and circumstance and everything is God's fault. Or God took this one away. God doesn't want me to have. No, that's from the pit of hell. Miracle mentality versus the supernatural mentality. The definition of a miracle. An extraordinary and welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws, and it's therefore attributed to divine agency. So when they come into the the wilderness, what happens? They experience miracle after miracle. Manner that falls from the sky. Think about it. There's no place to go buy any food. It's a desert. They're not sowing and reaping, and God says, I'm going to feed you. In Hebrews, I think it speaks of it, it says it's angel food. Supernaturally, God supplies for them, so, like supernaturally. They complain they're one quail, they're one other. God says what? I'm going to bring you, for, I think for a month or something, he says, I mean, you're going to eat it until it comes out of your nostrils. That's how much I can give you. It's super, it's what? It's miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. The Bible says their feet didn't even grow. And when their feet grew, their shoes grew with their feet. There was none that was sick or feeble. That's miracle. The Bible says, what is it? Think about it. If you're slaves, you got no medical plan as a slave. You were not treated well. They must have been beaten up, messed up, abused by the Egyptians. Bible says when they leave, there's none feeble. None or sickly. Everybody healthy and whole. It's the miracle working power of God. The Bible says that there was a cloud by day and a fire by night. It's miracle after miracle, and God does that to establish Himself in His relationship with you to show you His power on display. The supernatural is an event that's attributed to a force that is beyond the natural law. Some refer to supernatural as being, as saying it's a being, speaking of a force. And the reason why I want to break down the separation between the two, it's not that you mustn't have a miracle, but the fact of the matter is if you can go to the source of the supernatural, the miracles become the norm in your life. But if I constantly have to shout out to God to bring something down, it's not God's desire. Because when God took you out of Egypt, it was to take you through the wilderness and into the promise. It was never to stay in the wilderness so people that are constantly crying out for another miracle day by day by day by day by day by day and you got a miracle when you were born again two years but you need another miracle when you're born again 40 years and you need another miracle when you're born again 60 years. There's a problem because it's showing me that you're positioned in the wilderness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, it says, For we are God's fellow workers. We are God's co-laborers. We are co-laborers with Christ, Paul, he says, in another, in another scripture. He says, we are co-laborers. We're working together. This is God's ultimate plan. It's not for you to be solely sitting in a place where you can do nothing, where all you need to do is you need a handout every day. The Bible says that the provision that came from manna, they had to go every morning and collect for their family. And they could only collect enough for what? For that day. So tomorrow they were going to need another miracle. In the promised land, it doesn't work like that. It's completely different. The Bible says the day they stepped over into the promise and the miracles, the, the manna ceased. There was no more manna. You couldn't go the next day and cry out for another thing to drop down. God says in the earth, work the earth and you can eat all the days of your life. And when you, you see, so w- when you have a miracle mentality, you position yourself incorrectly. John 14 verse 12. Let me show you. I trust this is blessing you this morning. John 14 says, most assuredly, this Jesus. I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, will he do also. doesn't stop there, because Jesus was levels. Jesus was levels. I mean, you come four days after the man is dead, you raise him from the dead. Wherever you go, the Bible says he comes to places, and the Bible ends, where you came to him, he says, and he healed them all. It says the maim were healed. You know what maim means? Maim means you're missing a limb. Imagine you come here; the, the arm is gone. You come around Jesus, the arm is back. Ooh, find that unbelief. He says the maim was, he said every form of sickness and disease that came into the presence of Jehovah, of God most high, of Jesus in indeed, Jesus Christ. When they came into his presence, when they sat under his ministry, all were healed. So he says, that you're supposed to do as well. But he doesn't stop. He says, greater works will you do also. I don't want to go into that, but I want to deal with your positioning this morning. If you remember the, story, the, the, the historical account of where Jesus heals the woman with the issue of blood. You know that? Where, where she comes and the Bible says he's in a crowd He's on the way to heal somebody else, another girl that's 12 years old. But there's this woman that has been born with the issue of blood. Or not born, she has the issue of blood. She's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. She's gone to physicians to every natural system. Natural system that could not produce her healing. So she spent everything. She's crawling through the crowd to touch the hem of his garment. She touches the hem of his garment and immediately the blood stops, the Bible says. She receives a miracle. Here's the question. Are you supposed to be the woman, or are you supposed to be Jesus? Where's your position? Are you const- there's a season of your life where you're reaching out for a miracle, but then there needs to be a transition where you can do what Christ can do. If you still the woman after forty years, if I can only touch the hem of His garment, yes, God can give you the miracle, but it's not God's desire and design for you. you hear me. They died in the wilderness, but He still took care of them. Just because you got enough for us for and no more. Just because your family sits sorted and sitting nice and comfortable does not mean you're in the promised land. Because God will still take care of you even if you don't move. It just means you don't prove that which is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God for your life. It just means you don't come into the place of promise. But God will still take care of you. But you never experience doing what Christ does in the earth. When you see evangelists, healing evangelists going forth and healing people, it shouldn't be a surprise. It should be the norm. Skepticism first says, Yo, what, is that person for real? I, maybe they knew that person before or maybe this person is acting. Why? Because what? Because of our positioning. But when you understand it, you can tap into the supernatural and you can learn the system of the kingdom of God you can function and flow like that every single day of your life because at times what is supernatural to you will be a miracle for somebody else. Jesus flowing in the supernatural was a miracle to that woman. But it wasn't a miracle for him, it was the supernatural. Are you with me this morning? This is what the Lord said to me, he said, the kingdom is designed to produce supernatural results over and over and over. Whenever you apply the laws and the principles of the kingdom of God, the supernatural is the only outcome. Amen. When you sow a seed, supernatural. Supernatural. When you speak words of faith, supernatural. How? It's the system that God has given to produce the supernatural wherever you go. That's why you can come into a meeting in a territory and bind everybody's mind to the mind of Christ. They must adhere to what you've said. Why? Because it's the supernatural. They don't even know. You walk out smiling. With what God has done, because you've applied the laws of the system. You see, when you shift from the wilderness to the promised land, you're shifting systems. It's different. Same God, but the system shifts. So God requires our mentality to shift from one from a miracle-seeking mentality to one that flows and functions in the supernatural. Amen? Amen. Number three, temple versus territory. In the wilderness, you have the temple. In the promised land, you have the territory. I'm going to break this down for you now. In the wilderness, God says, God gives Moses the instruction to build a tabernacle. He says the tabernacle is going to house what? Going to house my presence, going to house my kingdom, going to house me in the most holy of holies. God says, build a tabernacle the way that I tell you to build it and get every tribe... To sit and be positioned this way around the tabernacle. They were all positioned. Some of them, some scholars believe that if you were to look from the sky and look down on the tabernacle, you see almost the cross being formed by the way the tribes are situated. If you go and read the, the detail of how it was laid out. But every single tribe had to sit and was positioned where? As this, around the center, which was the temple. And it was necessary. It was necessary. When the temple, when the, cloud, when, the pillar, when the cloud moved, or the pillar of fire moved, they had to get up and move because the tabernacle had to be moved. The presence of God had to move. They were taught how to be obedient to the moving of the spirit. So when you're going through your wilderness, don't reject the wilderness. The wilderness is part of the process. Before you get to the promise, there's process. Why? Because God's going to rip Egypt out of you in the wilderness so that when you go in, you don't build that calf. So in the wilderness, through the temple, through the relationship with God, God gives them an identity as His people. He says, face this way, build your house, what, towards the presence of God. Build your house, what, towards the temple of God. In the wilderness, they taught the law. God gave him the law on Mount Sinai, and God taught him the law. What's the law? The customs, the norms of the kingdom. You see, you want to reject the Ten Commandments. Don't reject it, it's just that you can't keep it. In your natural capacity but it's still the law of the kingdom you can't change that they were taught the significance of sacrifice they were taught about the favor of god they were raised by god the bible says in the book of joshua that one generation had to die out in the wilderness but the next was raised by god that's how when you get born again you need to come into the house of god why to be taught You need to be taught the laws, the customs of the kingdom. You need to be taught how to function, how to operate. Why? You can't just come in and say, okay, now what? And then you function like Egypt, but you're supposed to be born again. They were taught to prioritize his presence. They were taught about his timing. When it moved, you move. The problem is that the wilderness is a temporary place, but people try to make it a permanent home. It's a temporary place of process where God's going to work you. And you know, there's two things that can happen in the wilderness. One, you can reject the process. And so I refuse to go through those things. You know, so I've met so many people and so many times, even when an uh, apostle releases word, you know, where he says, you know, that job is da-da-da-da-da, then people somehow leave their job tomorrow. No, you're not ready yet. Cause you're not going to get up tomorrow at the right time to work on your business. You're going to sleep until 12 o'clock. Then you're going to have a bowl of cereal. Then you're going to do it, And then the day has gone. You're going to say, I'm going to start tomorrow. No. Some of you still need to be in. Wake up in the morning. Do what you need to do. Go to bed. You know what I'm saying? Why? So that God can, can process you to make you who you need to be to come into the promised land. It's just not automated. Are you understanding me? So people either reject the process, you know what I'm saying? Apostles says, yes, it's going to be uh, all these things, multiple streams of income, breakthrough from breakthrough. God's calling you to start your business. Da, da, da. You can't just go start it tomorrow. You don't even have a plan. You never even registered your business. You don't even have a bank account. So some people reject process and others Choose to stay in that place because it's okay if I just have enough food for me and my family. If I have my car, I have my house, amen. I have my job, I can go to work. There's enough food for us, you know what I mean? Every month I get my salary, we're sorted. we sort it. We're 100%. You can't really do much for anybody else. You can make sure you sort it. It's good. My children go to a good school. Praise the Lord. I live in a nice house. Praise the Lord. God is good. Amen. It's not promised land living. Because what's happening in the world today is that when they take the job away, where do you stand? So you have to understand that the temple is important to your life, but it's part of the process. Because if you go to Joshua chapter 3, verse 1, Joshua chapter 3, verse 1, it says, then Joshua rose early in the morning. And now they're gonna go in, right? This is when they're gonna go into the promised land. He says, Joshua rose early in the morning. And they set out from Acacia Grove and from the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place, and what? And go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Don't come near it that you may know by which way you must go, for you have not passed away before. He says what? That presence, the Ark of the Covenant, was where? In the temple. Where? In the wilderness. You don't leave the temple behind if you're going into the promised land. No, the presence must still lead you. You take what you've learned there, the laws, the customs, the understanding, you take it and you shift it and you follow it into the promised land. So many people come into church destitute, broken, don't have a way out. God starts to restore. God starts to bless. They forget everything they've learned and they run back to the world. Get lost. Why? The same things you learned here, you take there. It doesn't change. And the presence goes before you. The same way you were led by a cloud of, uh, uh, a pillar of smoke and, and the cloud, is the same way the presence leads you in the promised land. You know, we don't go in and do, we say, Father, I pray, Lord, there's so many people around me, so many business deals, but tell me where I must put my mind. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to put my attention? Where must my focus go? And God will birth that in every season and say, put your attention here and focus on this thing. Why? Because I'm still the same way He led me in the wilderness when I had nothing. When God starts to bring me into the territory that has something, I must still stay submitted and follow His leading and His guiding. You can't just, you know, when you told the pastor, spit in my eye to make me see. Now you, now you better, you can see things are going your way. Now the pastor's talking rubbish. The things that brought the change, you forget when you want to walk in and you find those same people. What happens? God just says, okay, come, go around the mountain again. And where you you're supposed to be conquering, you're sitting in a place of the wilderness and not moving anywhere. Because here's the thing. When God builds the temple, there's nothing there. Many of us have gone through those wilderness moments. Like there's nothing. When they say there's nothing, there's nothing happening. All you got is Jesus. You got the word of God. You got prayer. You're praying over your partial provision. You're trusting God every single day for every single thing because there's nothing else. It's not the end go. Why? Because in the promised land, there's no territory. There's no enemy there. Was there giants in, I mean, sorry, the wilderness, there's no territory. Was there any giants in the wilderness? No, they didn't want to be there. There's nothing there. You can't build anything there. That's why they were nomads. They were tent people in tents. But when God shifted them over to the promised land, that's when things changed. That's where the territory is that had milk and money. Milk and honey. So the shift has got to come into that once God is working inside of me in the wilderness, once God is processing me, I've now got to shift into the place of where I'm going after the territory that God has assigned to me. What mountain, what sphere of influence has God called you to? Are you supposed to be in education? I know of people. That we connected to. I can tell you now that even inside of me, I'm like, "Yo, these people should be building the ed- building the education system here," but they refuse to. I don't say anything, but I can see it's on you. And they're stuck in the wilderness season of their lives. And for me, I look at them like, "Can't you, just like?" You know, sometimes common sense is not so common. It's like, come on, guys, why? Your dependency is still upon the wrong system, and so you can't shift and transition. Why? Because you can't, your, your your whole modus operandi is that Egypt or the world is still my source, even though I'm translated, I'm not transformed, and so I can't go in and possess and experience what God has got for me because I'm stuck in a place where I'm stuck on the system. The territories where the wealth is. You see, God says it's a place of what? Of milk and honey. The enemy will give you the milk and honey. He just won't give you the territory that produces it. Don't chase after things. That's why you must shift from provision to progression. The Lord said, don't pray for provision. Pray for progression. He said, pray to progress in the places that I've sent you. Because the minute you take that property, the minute you take that territory, whatever's in that territory is yours. When he says, I'll give you a house, he says, I'll give you cities that you did not build, houses filled with good things that you did not fill. We so many times pray that prayer looking for the house, but God says, in the territory is the house. So don't run after the house, run after the territory. As you go after the territory and you pursue the kingdom of God and make it a priority, all these things shall be what? Added, why? Because the kingdom is about territory. It's about possessing territory. And where's the giant? In the territory. That's why you need a co-laboring with God. God's given you the victory, but in order to possess the territory, you have to have a different mindset. You've got to ask God for instruction and strategy. It's not just walking in or walking in. You see, the problem is when we talk about promised land, we think, oh, God's going to throw everything at us. Is the scripture, Proverbs 13, verse 22. I'm almost done. Proverbs 13, 22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. How many times have you used that scripture? I know I did many times as a baby Christian. Oh, the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. I thank you for the wealth transfer, Lord. Money is coming into my bank account tomorrow. I can't handle 10 rand, but I want 10 million. Ecclesiastes 2, 26 says, To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This to his minister, chasing after the wind. He says, What? He says, I've given the giants, those authorities in those spheres of influence that are not of my kingdom, I've given them the responsibility of gathering the wealth in that mountain. So don't pray for the wealth, pray for the mountain. When you possess the mountain, you possess the wealth. So stop praying for things and start playing for progression. Father, thank you for the anointing of God upon my life. That as I go into media today, that there's strategies, there's wisdom, there's relationships, there's insights that I'm going in here to take over and I'm not going to take sides. Father, as I go to work as an educator today, I know you've called me to work in the sphere of influence. I believe it's a call of God upon my life. As I go in here, I thank you that these minds are bound to the mind of Christ. These students will learn. They will grow up knowing who they are in you and walking in their purpose. And I thank you, Lord God. You'll give me the strategy, the insight, the understanding of how to build systems in this place to transform their lives and bring the wealth of this system into into the kingdom of God. Are you understanding me this morning? It's a complete shift in thinking because we have to become territory focused and not focused on provisions. Provision is a natural progression of you possessing a territory because everything in the territory belongs to the one who owns it. On this land, you can't come do what you want to do. Apostle will kick you off tomorrow. Why? It's his. If you grow food on here like they're growing now, the food change. You can't, somebody else can't just walk in here and say, sure, this is a nice a nice eggplant. You know what I'm saying? The eggplants are massive, by the way. It's like jamangus. It's like, you, say, yeah, yeah, you can't just come in and say, I'm taking this. No, it's not your territory. You don't own it. That's what we want to do. No. When you go into a place that is assigned for you, whatever's in that place God has given to you. The Lord said to me, he said, don't pray like that. Pray, everything in this territory that God has assigned to me is giving itself to me today in Jesus' name. All provisions, all harvest, all people, all things, every resource in this territory belongs to me because God has assigned it to me. That's a very different kind of prayer in terms of praying for 10 rand for God to meet your need today. Now understand, hear me. It's an un- I understand that certain people are in different places of their process. Some people are in the wilderness and God's gonna give you manna. Great, that's not the end goal. It brings you out of to take you into, amen. If you go read in Joshua chapter 12, you don't have to go and read that scripture now, but if you read Joshua chapter 12, verse seven to 24, it speaks about how Joshua took down 31 kings. 31 kings, that's 31 territories. Joshua started his journey when he was eighty. <laughs> Some people started at 40 they haven't even done one Or 20 He was 80 when he walked into that place And the Bible says he defeated 10 kingdoms Took over te- uh, 30, sorry, 31 territories Because every king must have a domain He possessed their domains Why? Because he was focused on territory And if you go read the Bible, says there was still so much more They couldn't even get everything In Joshua's lifetime Number five, or number four, sorry, last one, is either you can cower or you can conquer. Many people in the season have chosen to cower. And it's not because inside of it's not that you don't have the ability to go over. You hear me? It's not that you don't have the ability to possess. God has placed it in you by the day that you got saved. It's just that you don't know when he delivered them and you go to Numbers chapter 13, he says, go out the land. This place God has given you, they come back and say, yo, this place is loaded. There's grapes the size of melons. There's fruit, there's abundance everywhere. But he says, but we can't go in because they are giants there and we are as grasshoppers in their sight and in our own sight. Their own perspective of who they were was incorrect because they were positioned incorrectly. So, even though they sat in the midst of abundance, even though the abundance was promised to them, even though this promised land was given, they couldn't possess it because they chose to cower. Why? Because they saw it incorrectly. That's what this word is meant to do for you today it's to fix your perception. It's not that you don't have the ability to do. That's alive on the pit of hell. You hear me? Whatever voice is trying to speak into your mind right now, I bind every mind-binding spirit. Each and every child of the Most High God was designed by God to conquer, to take over. God's given you a divine anointing and ability to overcome. God's assigned it to you. Every single person has a purpose and a destiny by the kingdom of God. And where God says you must go, you can take over. Numbers chapter 14 verse 24. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into to the land where he went and his descendants will inherit it. Hear me. God says just because he had a different chias, he didn't even know how to go to war because he was a slave. Yet he was ready to go and just because God said so. God said just because of his spirit, his chias, his attitude, he must go. And Caleb comes when he's 80 and he says, Joshua... Ooh, he says to Joshua, give me my land. Give me my mountain. Give me the place that God assigned to me. Amen. Deuteronomy 7 verse 1 to 2, two more scriptures will be done. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which He swore, which, into the land which you go to possess, and he's cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Listen to this. Seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. He says what? He says, you're going into a place where they have more knowledge than you. They have a greater education than you. Academically, they're more qualified than you. You're going into a place of where people and these systems and these uh, spirits have held this place bound for generation after generation after generation. But he says, when you go in, I will deliver you from them. I will take them over. I will destroy them. I will push them off from where they are so that you can walk in and have the victory. Do you mean? When you go into the territory, of course it's big of course it's massive but it's great god's working in and through you to overtake that place you've just got to walk around like you own it don't walk in there like you're subject to them no they are subject to the spirit of christ that's on the inside of you what's in you is far greater than what's in the world are you with me this morning when you come into that place you come into that territory everything's got to submit why because of christ on the inside of you that's why he says to joshua this is what i want to say to you today Joshua chapter 1, verse 6 to 8, he says, Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide his in inheritance of the land which I swore to your fathers to give him. He says what? Verse 7, Be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it from the right hand to the left, that you may prosper. He go. says, going in here, be of good courage, be strong, but take the law I gave you in the wilderness. Don't lose the lessons of the wilderness. Take it with you into the place of promise. Verse 8, same thing says, Book of the Lord shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on a day and night, and you may observe to do according to all that is written in, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Verse 9: Have I not commanded you what? Be strong and of good courage, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wherever you go. You go. The assigned territory to you, the worship team, you can come a band, you can come up. The assigned territory that God has given to you, I don't care who's there. I don't care how long they've been there. But when it's in the timing of God and you're walking into that place, God is with you wherever you go. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed because you're overcoming in the season. Hear me? It's a time to conquer, not a time to cower. Don't be fearful of what the enemy is trying to show you and put in your spirit and put in your mind. Hear me. In the season when the world is regressing, the church is progressing. I'm telling you now when the world is regressing the church is progressing it's a time for the transfer of the wealth from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light but you better go in knowing who you are and whose you are you pray for a strategy every day God give me wisdom insight strategy and understanding show me how to go in and possess this land they had no power to take over Jericho but God told them what to do their obedience to the strategy produced the outcome that God had assigned to them Don't look to yourself. Just know that it's you. Don't look to your personal ability. Just know that God has called you for this very hour. I'm praying today that God will wake up inside of you. The assignment that is placed in your heart. That there'll be a shaking. That you won't be able to sleep night by night. Until this thing is sold out and settled in your heart. That God has called you to this mountain. To this work that God has called me to be. there's a confession just go to if you can go to joshua chapter one i think it's verse four i just want to show you this i confess of my life but then can you bring it up not yes sir. Wait. go to verse three i'm saying this to you this morning because this is what god has been speaking to me about applying it wherever i go go to verse two he says joshua most of my servant is dead now therefore I rise and go over the Jordan. You and all these people to the land which I'm giving to them, the children of Israel. And every year, that's what I do, right? Every morning I say, every place, because hear me, you can't go into a territory that's not assigned to you. Amen? You can't go into a territory that's not assigned to you. They could only go into the place of Canaan because God assigned it with Abraham. Every system in this world is assigned to the kingdom of God. There's nothing that's supposed to be outside of God because God gave everything in the beginning to mankind. But there's each and every person has a role to play in the kingdom being extended. And there's a sphere of influence. There's a mountain that you call to climb. So whatever that mountain is, this is what I say every morning. I say every place that the sole of my foot will tread upon, God has given to me. I say every place, the soul will, every place that the sole of my foot will will tread upon in the mountains I put it in there for me media, arts, entertainment religion and business as God given to me as he said to Moses go to the next one for from this wilderness and that's where you break it down to the the next one well then going down of the sun shall be your what? territory you put your mountain in there you say in this mountain this is my territory wherever the soul of my foot will tread upon this mountain in this place it's my territory go to the next one yes if no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life as i was with moses so i'll be with you i will never leave you nor forsake you when you come into a place whatever spirit is there that is not in the spirit of God it must bow I don't care what man is standing there they must bow why? because no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life just be strong be courageous and go into the territory that God has assigned to you That's the season we in church. It's a time to conquer, not to cower. Were you experiencing fear? I rebuke that fear today in the name of Jesus whether it's concerning sickness, healing, whether it's concerning your family, whether it's concerning addictions, I rebuke that fear today and I call that stronghold to be broken down in the name of Jesus. Whatever been holding you bound in the last season, I declare and declare you are free from it. Today you are liberated. The anointing and the power of God come to your home, come into your life, come into your family, come into your finances, come into your body and destroy whatever the enemy try to erect in your life today. In the name of Jesus, I declare and declare that you're walking into the dead that God has assigned for you The anointing of God is upon your life For you to come into all that is coming, that is God for you And from today They're going to say you have a different spirit Somebody that's willing to go in And possess what God is calling to possess In Jesus' mighty name Amen It's never too late to begin That's from the pit of hell. You can start today Caleb was 80 And he went to possess his mountain Amen amen and amen i trust this word has blessed you today this word has been blessing me god has really been shaping my thinking he's been shifting my mindset he's been challenging me daily to say don't look at it like this anymore my boy stop looking for the things but look for the progression stop looking for the things but get a strategy stop looking for the things ask for the wisdom let me show you let me lead me let me tell you how you're going to take over this thing in this hour we should have had we should have been in such prominent positions in government in the health sector in schooling in finance and business we should have been the ones to be able to carry the nation and more because of what God has done on the inside of us I'm calling for that in the season that God's going to supernaturally accelerate you build you up establish you and set you on the path of greatness and victory for his kingdom to be expanded and extended in the earth it's the hour for you to conquer in Jesus mighty name Amen. And amen. Hear me. This word has stirred your heart today. You're saying, Yo, Pastor B, I want this life. I'm asking God to give me the territory. I'm asking God to give me the assignment. I'm asking God to speak to me about my future and what He's got in store for me. Then hear me. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you once made that, made that commitment to Him, but you're so far away from Him, that's the starting point. The starting point is, really, is relationship. It's oikos. Before government, it's oikos. It's family. That's where God wants to establish you first. The first place is to make Jesus the Lord of your life. The first place, the starting point, is to come into the family of God so that God can establish you, process you, and give you what He's got for you in your future. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you feel like you're so wayward, you're so backsliding, and you know you just need to make a, re, a recommitment, a fresh commitment to your Father And heaven, then I want to pray with you today. If that's you this morning, if you're in this place, lift your hand and if you're online then just DM us I see your hand I see your hand young girl if that's you then just pray with me a simple prayer the Bible says if you believe in your heart and you confess to your mother that Jesus Christ is Lord you are saved pray this pray with me say dear Lord Jesus I believe with all my heart that you are the son of God that you came down from heaven died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins three days later you rose so that I can have life Jesus come into my heart wash me and cleanse me of all my sin make me brand new I thank you Jesus for saving me amen and amen you said that simple prayer all you have to do is dm us or chat to us after the service we want to connect with you want to walk with you we want God to process you so that you can become all that he's called you to be and fulfill the purposes and the plan of God for your life in Jesus mighty name amen amen then we just want to say thank you to all those that are giving and sowing into the ministry you're an absolute blessing as your seed your tithe and your offerings come into the house of god we're praying over that god's gonna supernaturally accelerate you and increase you and i just want to share two things this morning genesis chapter 8 verse 22 the god says while the earth remains seed time and harvest cold and heat winter and summer and day and night shall not cease he says this system is my system that I've put in place. And in the kingdom of God, this system, when you apply the system, you get supernatural results. Stop looking for a handout from heaven. Apply the system in the kingdom of God. Bring your tithing, sow your seed, and see the supernatural of God in your life. One of the outcomes, Luke chapter 6, verse 38. This is a supernatural outcome. It says, Give, and it will be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Will main point will be put into your bosom for the same as you meet that you use it will be measured back to you he says what when you sow a seed there's a place down shaken together and running over harvest there's a supernatural coming your way when you sow your seed when you bring your tithe into the storehouse God will supernaturally provide for you through the system of the kingdom of God so we just pray over your seed right now Father bless them increase them more than more and Father God I thank you that Luke chapter 6 verse 38 is their portion that there's a running over of coming together father god coming into their lives of oh god a supernatural increase a strategy to produce substantial constant provision for what you've placed in their hearts to do in jesus mighty name we all agree and say amen and amen to all those that have even been giving to for change We already, I think we already, over 30 people that have given and contributed becoming partners. We've just launched this week. So we're pushing, we're trusting God to reach the 700 partners. Go onto the 4Change website. That's 4Change, the number 4Change.co.ca. Go and see the powerful work we're doing in the next generation. This apostolic house is not going to leave the next generation for the world. But we're bringing them up so they can go and possess the territory that God is assigned to them. Connect with us, see what God is doing, and be a part of this great move of God happening in the earth through this apostolic house. In Jesus' name, we bless you. Have an awesome week. Go and take over wherever you go. Be strong and of good courage. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And wherever you go today, your territory is going to increase more and more and more. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.